0: I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to Galatians chapter number five this morning. Galatians chapter number five. We're going to be talking about uh, freedom this morning. I think it's very fitting that we talk about freedom on uh, the, the weekend of where we celebrate, just celebrate Veterans Day. How many veterans would we have in, in here? Would you raise a hand for us? Just keep it up for a moment, Please want to say thank you. Can we give a hand to these guys? Uh, we, have, we had a uh, veterans breakfast here Friday, Thursday morning uh, in the gym. And it's uh, such a special time. And our, our, our school children here at MCCA uh, put that on and did such a great job. But I, I love being around veterans. I told the men uh, and women who were there on, on Friday, Thursday, excuse me, Three of my best friends, when they graduated from high school, they went to the Marine Corps. Man, did my heart want to go as well. There's, ever since I've been a young boy, there's something that when you look at a veteran, when they get to stand on Veterans Day or when they're they're honored, like I want to be a part of that because there's there's something of substance to that. I love that. The Lord, of course, you know, had a different direction for, for my life, and I get to be in, in his army, uh, and, and I, I'm thankful for that, but I am, I am very grateful for you men and women. It's, it's, it's freedoms that were given to us, the many, um, based on the sacrifices of the few. I don't just mean those who went to war and didn't come back. I mean anybody who, anybody who signed up to be a part of the military, uh, both you and your families made sacrifices for the freedoms that we have. I want to say thank you. Sometimes, though, um, I also shared with them on Thursday. Sometimes I wonder what, what goes through the mind of veterans when they see what we do with the freedom we've been given. I remember I remember the very first time my best friend, his name was Jose, when Jose came back from boot camp. We ended up going to a baseball game, and I remember two down that base, sorry I know it's going in and out somehow for some reason. Two rows down from us. At the baseball game, um, there were two people that chose not to stand during the national anthem. And I don't think they were trying to put some, you know, rebellious, you know, uh, stance against it like we see nowadays. But I just, it hurt my heart because I'm standing next to a guy who just decided I'm going to sign up and, and serve our nation. And there's two people down there that who won't even stand up out of respect for the flag that he's going to give his life defending. And, and I sometimes wonder, you know, what, what, uh, what veterans think of when they see our nation using the freedoms that they've, they've fought for, like the freedom of speech, and the freedom of speech often used to burn a flag, to step on a flag, to loot buildings, and to tear down war memorials. That's the freedom of speech that they went to defend. And yet, I remember talking to, uh, talking to Jay Roy uh, once, and Jay is a man that I respect tremendously, former Marine, and what a man. And, and he said, uh, he said, Brian, freedom's freedom. Sure, I would love to see people do the right thing with freedom, but we went to war to fight to defend their freedom, even to do that. It was, it was a powerful statement. And sometimes, as a, as a Christian, I, I try to look at the incredible freedom that we have as as believers, You know, what we've been free, we've been freed from the, from the bondage of sin. We've been freed from the—this the, um, is ringing for me just a little bit. You mind turning it down? Whether it's up here or out there, I'm not sure. <laughs> but we look at the freedom that, that we have as Christians, and, and sometimes I begin to wonder, like, what is, what is Christ and the Father? When they look at the way I use the freedom they've given to me, what do they think? Because, I mean, like, like the question that, that has to come is like, yes, we've been free as Christians. We've found freedom, but like, were we free just to do anything we want? Is that why Christ came from heaven and lived this? perfect life and surrender and obedience to his father and was willing to go to the cross that we celebrate so so often his sacrifice and then he went into the grave and rose three days later and today is sitting at the right hand of the father ruling over the heavens and the earth did he did he do all that so that we could just do whatever we want to do so this is that driving question. Like, am I am I living in the freedom that Christ has provided in a way that pleases God? You know, if you read the Old Testament, we see how God so clearly has a nation that he calls his own of Israel. And what does he do with them? He frees them from the bondage of slavery. He saves them miraculously across the Red Sea. He guides them through the wilderness, providing for their food and water. He takes them into the promised land, defeats their enemies and says, there you go. And the whole purpose was for them to live in such a wonder and in awe of the work of God in their life that they do nothing but have worshipful and devoted obedience to this God, to Yahweh, who cared for them, and in such a way that the nations around them would look in on Israel and go, Wow, I want in. I I want some of that. But what do we find god coming to israel through his prophets and constantly saying like why are you turning to other gods? Look at what i've done for you Why do you want what other people have you're supposed to be living in such a way that other people want what you have? It's exactly the opposite But then as we enter into the New Testament and we look at the work of God on our behalf as believers, what Jesus has done for us, we should sit back with such an awe of what Christ has done for us in redeeming us that we live in such a way, a worshipful, loving, obedient way to Christ that others outside the community of belief look at our lives and say you're so radically different but there's so much joy i want in but how do so many christians live i want that i'm gonna go after all the the worldly pleasures and the worldly possessions. And sometimes my mind comes back to this question that I have about how do veterans feel when they see people using the freedom that they were given in a way that that is not the purpose of the freedom they've been given. And how does Christ look at his believers, his disciples, his followers, saying, I've freed you, but not for that. I think as we get into the message this morning in Galatians, Paul is going to rehearse this freedom, but I think there's, there's three driving thoughts, and it's not three points. It's just something I'm probably going to repeat a little bit. Paul's going to tell them that freedom is costly, right? And we, we know that. Freedom is not free. Costly. He's going to tell them that freedom is practical. If freedom has a purpose, We're not freed for no reason. We're freed for a specific purpose. And that freedom that we have, it is under attack. So be ready to defend it. Man, does that not just parallel where we are as a nation as well? Would you pray with me briefly? Spirit, do your work. Push me out of the way. And you speak today. You speak whatever you want to this church body that is gathered for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. Let's begin at the first verse of Galatians chapter 5, and we're, I'll be reading from the NIV translation today. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So, I'm just going to read that first to stop right there. So, immediately we see here, Paul's going to bring in freedoms, freedoms are costly, right? It costs not you, the freedom that you're experiencing cost Christ. Christ set us free, and the price was his redemptive death. You visit Washington, D.C., and there's a korean war memorial and it's one of my favorites to visit and at the at the very behind the flagpole it just has a granite wall and it says freedom is not free and every time i go there i stand there and probably the korean war memorial is important to me because my dad was in the korean war so i stand there regularly and i think freedom is not free i didn't pay a great price for my freedom i get to enjoy it but there's a whole lot of people who didn't get to enjoy it they paid the price and this is well, what Paul's you know drawing us into understanding that we've been given freedom, but it's it's at a great cost to Christ, but he also says the purpose of the freedom. And it's gonna sound redundant, almost foolish, if you look at the very first phrase again. He says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's that's more like one of those uh duh <laughs> moments when you read the Bible, like it's It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. What does that mean? Well, think of who Paul was writing to. He was writing to a group of believers who were enslaved by sin. They were worshiping false gods. Paul preached the truth to them. They were freed from the sin and bondage of idolatry. But now they had teachers who were coming in trying to enslave them again to good works. If you don't do these things, if you don't do these good works, God's not going to accept you. Oh, well, then I've got to do all these things. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you got to understand. Christ set you free to live free. But we have to know how to live free. Because we don't always get that. I'm not in any way advocating this, this movie. Please don't think that. But there's a movie that I watched years ago called The Shawshank Redemption, and it's a, it's, a, it's a movie about a man being wrongfully sent to prison and about his eventual escape from prison. But halfway through this movie, there's this scene where this guy who has been in prison for decades is getting free. He's, he's being released. And so the, the, you know, all the prisoners line the fence, and they're cheering for him and hooting and hollering at him. He gets out. Like a couple minutes later in the movie, they're now discussing the fact that that man who was given his freedom committed suicide. But but here's what I here's what caught me The warden and those other people who were discussing it it was like nothing they they knew This is something that regularly happens because people who have been incarcerated for so long become used to a certain lifestyle that when they are now freed, they don't know what to do with that freedom because they don't know how to live in freedom. And many people who are incarcerated go out and commit a crime so that they can go back to the lifestyle that they are comfortable with. Others say, I'm free, but I ain't going back to that lifestyle, but I don't want to live like this. And they end their life. And that is not an uncommon thing. Think, so think of this. Christ has sent us free from the bondage of sin, free from the penalty that one day we'll stand before God and be judged for our sin. We don't have to live like that anymore. We are free from that. But so many times believers will step from one type of bondage into another type. How do you—do you feel like you have to come to church? Man, it's this is such a difficulty right here. Do you have to give? And this time it was, do, do I have to follow the Sabbath? Do I have to follow the dietary laws? And we're going to see it, Do I have to be circumcised? And what Paul was saying is, "You've been freed, so live free. Don't go back into another type of slavery. But the question is, like, are we really free? Like, I, I think that there's some in the church who, who assume that when someone prays a prayer to escape the judgment of hell, the eternal fire of hell, if they just pray a prayer like, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to go to hell for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. Amen. Like, that, that then saves them And they're free to go live a life however they want. I saw that so many times growing up. People who would pray a prayer, even get baptized, even multiple baptisms in their life, and they would continue to return to that sinful lifestyle. Well, I don't really see freedom in that. See, what, what Christ is doing is he's freeing us from sin, but he's not giving us complete freedom. He's giving us freedom now to follow him. When a prisoner is is released from prison, is he free? I mean, think about that. As an American, are you free? This is the land of the free, home of the brave. Are you free to do anything you want? Of course not. Prisoners who are released from prison are not free to do anything that they want. There are rules, laws, and regulations that we understand that as American citizens, but somehow we've we've fallen into the trap as Christians that we've received freedom from Christ at salvation, and that freedom means we can walk anywhere, do anything, go anywhere, be anything that we want to be. But we don't we don't give that freedom to prisoners. We don't give that freedom to American citizens. We have to understand, too, when we we are saved we not only realize we have jesus as our savior as our redeemer as our messiah but we also realize because of that he becomes our lord and if we have a lord then we have someone to follow well why would i use my freedom to follow jesus If I'm free, why can't I go anywhere? If I'm free, why do I have to follow Jesus? And here's the thing. Like, let me ask you, Troy and Lainey, you guys, 19 days till you get married. Are you free right now to to go with any boy or girl that you want to? Right now, are you free? Well, Troy better not. She's already saying that. (laughs) Think of it. There are millions, Troy, there are millions of other women. Lainey, Lainey. There are millions of other young men in this world. You could follow any one of them. Why do you choose to say no to every single one and yes, only one? Because as they have grown in relationship to one another, there is a devotion and a love to one another that says, I could have my choice of anyone, but I want you. And That's what Jesus calls us to do. I could walk any way that I want to. But I know that you are my Lord because I see what you've done for me. So I'm going to follow you. So with my freedom, my freedom has a, a purpose and my purpose is to follow Christ. And here's the reason why. Because if freedom is found in Christ, that means freedom cannot be found apart. He's the one who brings the freedom. He's the one who releases us. And as Jesus said when he quoted the the scroll of Isaiah, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That means if you are a believer trying to live your own life, walk your own way apart from Christ, trying to find what you think is the purpose in life, you are going to fail until that purpose falls into, I will follow you. Wherever, whenever, however, no matter the cost. Oof, all of a sudden, does that sound like freedom? Let's keep reading. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul says this, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised... Now, I'm just going to pause here. We're not going to talk about circumcision uh, here. But uh, he's going to use circumcision because it's a big deal as far as the law in general. But he's going to choose one specific law. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man... Who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from christ. You have fallen away from grace Ah, I think this is so key, right? So so let's pause Look at that. What paul's saying Is if you are going to get circumcised or if you're going to follow the law and you're going to use your good works As the way you are made right with god Then that's going to mean a couple of things going to mean Christ. He doesn't say Jesus. That's important to me. He doesn't say Jesus will be of no value to you at all. He's saying the Messiah, the one sent from God, the Christ is going to be of no value you to at all when you try to find your righteousness through your good works. But he's also going to say you're going to find your righteousness through your good works You better do everything that the law says to do everything that the law says to do And then he says if you're going to try to find your righteousness through your good works You are going to be separated or alienated from christ. You're going to be you're going to find yourself separated from christ And then he, he closes like, like that that's that last statement He says you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from christ. Let me keep reading Oh, I left off a part I'm so sorry Let me read, let me read it Because it's, it's the most important part that we have The end of verse 5 End of verse 4 You have fallen away from grace Every translation says that Fallen from grace Now there are people There are religions Who will use that statement to say People can lose their salvation But here's what we have to understand Fallen from grace. Whew. Think with me. for just. Can I, can I ask you to put your thing in caps on for just a moment? When Paul is talking about fallen from grace, he is not talking about those who have been saved and fall back into sin. These aren't people who have been redeemed and are walking back to a lifestyle of sin so they've fallen from grace. No, no, no. He's talking about people who have been redeemed and they are walking now into a lifestyle of good works. You're falling, you're fallen from grace because what happens is as we start to look at our own good works as the as our means to the father as our means to a better relationship with Christ, we look at what we do, we now are falling out of the grace of God, looking at grace as a gift and we are now earning the grace of God. You don't earn grace. You can't earn grace. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved faith. That's what grace is. You can't earn it. And so when we look to our own good works, when we look to the way that we dress for church, when we look to the way how many times we come to church or how much we give or things that we do, when we look at all of that stuff as our way of relating to God, we are falling from grace. Because we've been saved by grace. Now we gotta live by grace, right? But, but here's, here's what's important. Verse number five. I think, th- I think this, is, this, this becomes a hinge verse. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Let me pause right there. The word hope in Scripture in the New Testament specifically, doesn't, isn't used the way we use the word hope. How many of you ever hoped for something? Right, you've hoped. And, and my guess is you probably hoped for something that didn't take place. Like Francis hopes Washington will win today or t- tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, we know that's not gonna happen, right? I mean, like you can hope all you want, right? But having hope is To us, it's an uncertainty that we want to to take place, right? Hope in Scripture does not mean that. Hope in Scripture is an assurance of something. We really, we know it's going to happen, and we really want it to happen. Almost like, I'm hoping for my birthday right? Does that make sense? I know my birthday's coming. I can't wait for it, so I have hope for my birthday to come. We know this because in in, in 2 Timothy, and and hopefully we'll have time to get there, but in in 2 Timothy, the coming of Christ is called the blessed hope. So here in verse 5, you've got to understand this, because this makes all the sense in the world. Here's what Paul's saying, through the Spirit, through the work of the Spirit, we, we eagerly await. That means I'm in a Time of waiting, but I'm waiting by faith that the righteousness that I am assured will come will be given to me. Meaning, the Spirit is working in the lives of believers that one day when you stand before God, God God's gonna look at your faith and He's gonna count you as righteous. You know what that means? You know what that means? You don't have to actively earn righteousness today through your good works. You don't earn your righteousness. It's given to you. And it will be completely given to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about what God made in him. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus, God made him who knew no sin to become sinful. So that we, in him might become the righteousness of god man am i do i look perfectly righteous and jamie please be quiet uh, no, no i do not, i'm not a perfectly righteous guy you know what one day i'm gonna stand before god and be perfectly righteous i am awaiting i'm awaiting for the righteousness that i know is going to come which means i don't have to earn my righteousness by my own works When I do, that's when I start falling from God's grace. We stop believing God's gifted us the righteousness. We start believing we need to earn it. But then, can I go back? Paul says this. These these are the verses that I want to read, verse six. He said, For in Christ Jesus, man, this is so this is just such a good verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He's saying, your works of righteousness have no value. Keep this in mind as we read the next sentence. Neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. Whew, but he doesn't say faith, period. He gives us an understanding of what faith is. How we see faith. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You got got it, got it, got to catch this, right? Got to catch this. Is circumcision an action? That's really not meant to be a trick question. Um, The answer is yes. Let me try this one more time. Uh, Is circumcision an action? Yes. Is expressing faith through love an action? Yes. He says this doesn't matter, but this does. Wait a second. So you're saying my good works don't matter, but my good works matter? Yes. What? Yes. This good works. The circumcision says I'm doing this to prove my righteousness and to earn it. This actions of love that is sourced in my faith in God, that one day he will grant me all righteousness and I do not have to do this to earn righteousness. I am doing this simply out of an expression of love for God and for the ones he loves. This is what God is looking for in the lives of believers. So we cannot think that good works matter But we cannot think good works don't matter it basically tells us how we live our lives is not nearly as important as why we live our lives i bet you there's people not in this church of course but i bet you there's people who put money in the offering because that's an act of righteousness to them But I know this church is filled with people who put money in the offering because they say this is a way that I can genuinely express the love that God has for me by being engaged in the mission of my church family. And I think same action, but two different reasons, right? Does that make sense? I hope so. So so let me me just go a couple more verses. All right. Verse Uh, 7. We're planning to go through Verse 15 today, not going to happen. All right, here we go. Verse seven, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to the, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. All right, so now we already know freedom is costly. Christ has set us free. We know freedom has a purpose and that purpose is for us through faith to do good, good actions of love. Self-righteous actions? No. Actions of love? Yes. But we also know freedom's under attack. But We've all run a race and got cut off and you realize that's going to slow you down. Probably when I was thinking through this of an illustration, my favorite one was like just riding go-karts, you know, as a kid and going to the go-kart track and, uh, and having, you know, having your friend, you know, getting in front of your friend and then slamming on the brakes and then having the person in charge of the go-kart warn you that if you do that again, you're get kicked out and then you do it again and blame your friend and he gets kicked out and you don't so not and I, and I, I was just thinking of all like the, the really fun things and then then I was scrolling through social media yesterday and like here's this I, I don't know if the Lord was just trying to provide me with an illustration or what but I'm scrolling through social media and all of a sudden I see this dash cam video of semi-trucks who keep slamming into the backs of cars that want to get in front of them and slow down and I'm like hey that's That's exactly what we're we're talking about. Like somebody who cuts in on someone and keeps them from going the way that they want. And you know, there's a lot of damage that's done to a car when you slam in front of a semi-truck. You know, Paul's saying, hey, the people who are doing that to you, they're not from the Lord. They're not from the one who has called you to himself. Then he makes this, I call this a crazy statement because of the way Paul uses it. He says a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I call it, I'm calling it crazy because Jesus uses this exact phrase in talking about the kingdom of heaven. Just a little bit of yeast and a batch of dough. Yeah, that's like the kingdom of heaven. And I, how is that like the kingdom of heaven? And I found this so encouraging, right? Hey, listen, you never know what one of your actions of love can do for the future. You never know what speaking a word when the Lord prompts you to speak to someone. What one action of giving, what one action of helping, what one action of of your expression of love that we're called to do. We have no idea how that can change the world. There are people sitting in church today not just in here, but all around. There's people sitting in church today because of one action of one believer. When God said, "Do this for them, care for them, invite them." Well, look, look, uh, David and Lori, your friend is here today, and I was going to call you Lori too, and uh, Roberta, right? Roberta's here today because you invited her to church, like. Who knows what this one action can end up doing? Amy, your friends are here today because you invited them to church and we rejoice and we celebrate. We don't know what one action of love can end up. But Paul's not using it the way Jesus did as far as the kingdom of heaven in a positive sense. Paul's using it in in a negative sense. It doesn't take much for one yeast, little bit of yeast, to affect the, the whole batch of dough. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've used these verses behind me when I was a youth pastor to preach to teenagers about how one wrong friend, how one bad influence, how one sinful relationship can stop you from following Jesus. And while I still believe in that principle, I was applying that completely wrong. Because Paul's not saying one sinful influence is going to stop you. It's going to take you down into a path of, of debauchery. And is, and, and this, this one person in your life is going to, to lead you into a, into a lifestyle of sin. They weren't moving into a lifestyle of sinfulness. They were moving into a lifestyle of finding their righteousness through good works. And Paul's saying, you cannot think that way. You do not earn a standing with God. You do not earn salvation with God by anything you do. You earn it by faith in what Jesus has already done for you. And if you think that your good works are going to put you in good favor with God, that's going to ruin the whole batch of dough. It's going to ruin the whole church. It's the freedom. It's the the thinking that says, because of what I do, and more importantly, what you don't do. I'm closer to God than you are. But again, I can't, I can't stress this enough. Don't think that it doesn't matter what you do. When Jesus called us, here's what he said. If you love me, do whatever you want to do. No. No when Jesus called us to. If you love me, keep my commandments. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot follow me. If you're not willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Our works are so important, but not because they earn us standing with God, because they are opportunities of expressing our love to God. I want, I, I, I've got to stop, but I really wanted to finish. So, so think with me as we go. Why have I been freed? Why do I have freedom? I've been freed because God loves me so much. He sent the Messiah. The Messiah came to redeem us and Paul's purpose in his life was saying, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one who came to redeem you. That was Jesus. Put your faith in him, in the person of Christ, in the works of Christ. When you do that, you'll be... from the penalty of sin. You, you will also, as, as your life goes on and you follow him, you'll be freed from the power of sin until one day you'll be completely freed from the presence of sin. It's all, it's all awaiting. That's what you've been freed to. But your freedom does not mean I can go wherever I want to go and walk wherever I want and do what. I, no, no, your freedom has been. Now, now that you're free, obey me. Why do I I follow you? This is what I've done for you. This is who I am. Follow me. You cannot follow me if you're not willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and go where I go. No. Follow me. And as we go, let's, let's love the people with whom we come in contact. Man, that's our calling, church. Now there's going to be people who are going to get in our way, and they're going to stop. And some are some are going to be sinful influences, but that's not who Paul was talking about in Galatians. He so, said there's going to be some people who are going to say, "No, no, no, hey, if you do these good things, that means God's going to love you more." Nope. He's already given all of his love that he can. He can't love you any more than he already does. Isn't that awesome? Oh man, doesn't isn't that freedom? imagine being in a relationship with someone and you don't know whether or not they love you so you constantly give them things and you constantly call them and you constantly are asking hey do you love me love me more than you love anything do you love me do you love me do you love me do you love me there's no freedom in that i don't ask my wife before i leave hey today are are you gonna when i get home are you gonna love me like I i don't ask my wife that when i leave Like, there's a freedom that I can go and be and do who I am, and I'm going to come home to a woman who has already expressed her love to me, and that love is awaiting me when I get home. Hey, wherever you go, you have a God who loves you, who has poured out all of his love on you, and that will not change, but it should change us. Just say, yeah, okay, I'll do my works, but they're not for self-righteousness. I'll do my works. As an expression of my love for you, would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus! Whew. Man, I, I I would love worship team if we could just close with that that hymn of Jesus, our Savior. Father, I, I I read this today. My, my, my heart's excited. Honestly, I just I, w- I don't want to stop, but I, I want to keep going. I want to ke- I want to I want to finish this whole thing because I, I just man, I love I love getting to see what you do and how you do it and how you work and just the expressions. God, as I study your word, man, my heart it overflows. I love I love the opportunity to share with this church that I love, about the God that I love, who loves all of us. Lord, you know we're fickle people, though, and you know we live in this currency of I give and get, and we live with people who sometimes they only love us for what we do for them. We live in this world where it seems like we have to earn everything we get, and God, man, that just it just so easily overflows into our relationship with you. Oh, would you, would you lead us back today to joy in our hearts that we don't earn a thing from you, that everything we have has been gifted from you. And Lord, your call is to simply follow the one who's given you everything. Oh, why would, why would we not? I think of that widow who had two mites. You said that she gave more than all those people who had so much more money that they were dropping in the, they were dropping in the offering. But, but you said she gave more, not because she gave more, but because of what she held back. Nothing. Man, I, I, I am that guy that loves to I am that guy that loves to let people know how much I give, but I sure don't let people know how much I hold back from you. But you see that. You know what I see in you is a God who held nothing back. You poured out everything that you had to give in order to redeem us. Why would I not follow you with everything that I am? In church, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I literally have two questions for you. One, I just, I wonder if there's anyone here today and if you had to be completely transparently honest, like there's a part of you that says, "No, I, I believe I'm. I sure hope, sure hope that I'll have eternal life. Sure hope that one day when this life is over, I'll get to I'll get to be reunited with God." But like, I know I know that that's up to me. I I, I know that I, I have to live a certain way, and there's certain things that I have to do. I wonder if there's anybody here, if you've thought that. when the truth that Scripture tells us is there's no good works of righteousness that we can do that will earn us a right standing with God, it's what Jesus has done and our faith and trust in Jesus. Now if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in the work and in the person of Christ, oh I would invite you today to realize, I'm a sinner. If I were to be judged today for my sin, I would die in my sin. I would, be, I would face the judgment I deserve for my sin. And I believe that Jesus was sent by God as the Messiah to redeem the world through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And I place my faith and trust in all that Jesus did and in nothing i've done i want to follow him oh man if you're here today and you've never done that please don't leave without making sure that today you put your faith and trust in jesus but i know that there's some in here who you've done that for some it was last year for some it was decades ago and my question are you following him today And are the works of your life, are they works trying to prove your worth or are they works in response to his love? Oh, follow him. He's given all. He's got more to give as we follow him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and go where he goes. May we be a church set on following Jesus through acts of love, that are grounded in our faith, that one day our righteousness will be granted to us, gifted to us, not something we have to earn. Man, what a good, good God you are. May we find our purpose in the freedom that Jesus has given to us. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and let's let's celebrate?